Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Let's turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Beginning with verse 32, if you're using the Bible that's in the chair pew, it's 1008, page 1008. The writer of Hebrews uh, comes toward the end of this section and more or less summarizes. What more shall I say for time would fail me? The picture is time would run off away from me. I wouldn't be able to get in all that could be said about all the people of faith in the Old Testament. And he's started from the beginning, from Abel, even creation, uh, up to Joshua. And so you'll notice that the very next few names are from the very next book of the Bible, Judges. And then he just mentions David and Samuel as kind of a represent, representatives of kings and prophets. Um, and then begins to name the different things that uh, people did by faith. So this is how he summarizes this this whole section. Begin within uh, verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, 
Come to us by your Holy Spirit to open up your word to our understanding that we may walk in faith, that we, the weak, may be strong, and that we will see your promises continually fulfilled in our lives. Bless us, Lord, to that end by your mighty grace in Christ Jesus. Amen. You'll notice that uh, I've entitled this sermon, What Are You Accomplishing Because of Faith? What are you accomplishing because of faith? These two, uh, this section, verses 35 through 38, is really divided into half. The first half deals with what men and women accomplished by faith. And then you get to the middle of 35, right after it says women received back their dead by resurrection. Then it begins on a whole different thing. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. So the second half is what people suffered by faith. So what they accomplished by faith, then what they suffered by faith. We're simply going to look at the first section. What they accomplished by faith, then asking ourselves that question. What are we accomplishing by faith? What are we doing day after day, week after week, by faith that looks at least something like this in our respective world? And I want to focus our attention as we think about our accomplishments in two basic areas. And no surprise, it is in character and in ministry. In your character and in your ministry, what are you accomplishing by faith? What are you believing God for? How are you changing and moving forward in those areas of your own character and your own ministry? Two parts of this that really come out, there are a lot of individual things stated. Of course, the particular lives of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. You could talk about many different aspects. We'll pull a few things out from their lives. And then it lists these different things. They conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead. But there are two kind of general principles that I want to focus on. There are a lot of ways to come at this passage, of course. But two things for us to look at. And that one is that they were made strong out of weakness. They were made strong out of weakness. Or another version has whose weakness was turned to strength. From weakness, they were made strong. And then the second one that we want to touch on is this other uh, general idea. They obtained promises. You see, those two things really apply to all of these people. Out of their weakness, they became strong. And by out of their weakness becoming strong, they obtained these promises. They laid hold or you might say they obtained what was promised. They were able to enjoy the promise and embrace and that promise having its effect in their lives. So for you and me in this area of character in ministry, how are we seeing ourselves, the weak, becoming strong? And how are we laying hold of the promises that God has for us 
in our character, in our ministry. So what are we accomplishing in these areas? Even though we're weak, how are we becoming strong? Isn't that what we're being called to in this passage? And, and how are we obtaining promises uh, by God's grace in these areas of our character and our ministry? Let's first look at this idea of the fact that they were weak and made, made strong. Philip Edgecombe Hughes says that faith is the response of all who, conscious of their own weakness, look to God for strength. In fact, there really is no faith apart from understanding your weakness. None at all. There can't be. There can't be a dependence upon God unless there's a recognition that I have no resources in myself. I have no moral resources. I have no, char- I have no possibility to develop character on my own. I have no possibility to have real ministry that is full of love and servanthood that is completely given up to the glory of God, or at least begins to give up to the glory of God. I have no capability apart from the grace of God. So this is, this is vital to every act of faith. And you can count on it that most of the time the reason we don't exercise faith is a false sense of our own strength, a false sense of our own capacity. A false sense of our own righteousness, a false sense of our own ability to get what will satisfy us in life. It's it's striking out on our own to create idols for ourselves, to strike out on our own to have happiness apart from God. So a helpless dependence that looks to him in everything for all things is what's being pushed to us here in this passage. And you have examples like Gideon, who was reduced, as you know the story in Judges, from 32,000 capable warriors, uh, at least it looked like, all the way down to 300. And then he was given some clay pots with uh, fire in them and some trumpets to go against thousands and thousands of the enemy. And you think... What am I doing here? You know, with these pots surrounding them with trumpets, we don't even have weapons in our hands hardly. You know, what's going on here? And yet there was a mighty victory that God brought about. Uh, Barak here was uh, at the head of an infantry that was facing 900 iron chariots. It was it was pointless. It was it was suicide. And yet in faith, he believed God in his own weakness and He received the victory. And of course, David and Goliath uh, hardly goes without saying this small boy standing behind in front of this huge warrior. So in all of these things, we are being told that in their weakness, they became strong. Uh, Daniel, of course, facing lions. And in this in their weakness, it doesn't mean that they aren't fierce that they aren't mighty in the way they declare their faith, uh, because you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spoken of here in, when it says they quench the, fire, the uh, power of the fire. 
And they basically said, we don't know if God is going to deliver us or not. We know he's able to deliver us, King Nebuchadnezzar, but we don't know what he's going to do. But I can tell you this, we're not bowing down to your idol. And so there was a a helpless dependence, a weakness to say, our lives don't belong to our to ourselves. And we really don't care in the end if God delivers us or not. But the one thing we care about is to please him. And that's what we're going to do. So this is the the pattern that is set before us that, that we must follow as well in terms of our own weakness. And this is the way God operates it's, it's the way that we've got to keep thinking about ourselves and not run from this sense of weakness, but, but develop this sense of weakness in, in our lives. Because there will be no strength apart from that. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians 1.27, we read, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And so God loves to work with the weak. He loves to work with the people who are conscious of the fact that they are weak. In Isaiah chapter 66, he says, I dwell in a high and holy place. Heaven and earth can't contain me. And yet I dwell with the broken and contrite of heart. The one who trembles at my word. And the idea of trembling in utter dependence, given up to that word to do whatever God would have me do because my wisdom is not worth following. My own way is not following. I tremblingly give my life into your word, O Lord. You alone will guide me and lead me. And in those statements of personal weakness, there's also... The faith in God's strength. I love what Jonathan says in 1 Samuel 14, speaking to his armor. Let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us. Just two of them. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. It doesn't matter our weakness. What we're laying hold of is the mighty strength of God. Or as the Moabites and Ammonites are gathered against Judah, and there is no hope in terms of numbers for uh, Judah to fight. Jehoshaphat prays in this way, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? This is in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And he goes on to describe God's great acts in history. And listen to this prayer. Oh, our God, we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then the prophet speaks to him and gives him this encouragement. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. And so my question to you in exercising just fundamental faith by every day is, do you go into your day and do I go into my day basically saying what Jehoshaphat says here? I am powerless against this great horde that is coming against me. I don't know what to do, 
but my eyes are on you. Does that ever mark your day? Now, some days when you've got a really tough day, you know, maybe a presentation at work or some pressing matter or uh, something's not going right in life. And so on those particular days, we get all humble and contrite. And it's not wrong to do so. Okay, what I'm calling for for you and for me is this kind of brokenness where we go into each day and say, Lord, I have no hope today. It's, it's what Paul says in Ephesians 6 to transfer it into our world where he says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against spiritual forces. We, we fight against forces in high places. He says that's why we must stand strong in the Lord, because we have no hope outside of that. So it's, it's this, this kind of even saying this great horde that is coming against us, brothers and sisters, believe me. They're coming against you today and they're coming against you tomorrow and they're coming against you the next day. What does Peter say? Satan goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He never takes a break. Sin never rests in its war against us to destroy us. And so for for us in the first place to have a sense of our weakness And be encouraged because God picks people who you just wouldn't think he would pick. And he picks people who fail so much of the time. Sometimes you you go through these names and you think, Samson? I remember years and years ago, a guy was teaching from Judges and, and he admitted, he says, I'm really not sure why Samson's here except that the writer put him there. Because he had so many failures. And yet he had that kernel of faith and trust in God. Jephthah was born of a prostitute. And it says that he fell in with a bunch of terrible guys, uh, a rowdy bunch that, that were no good to be around. And yet God pulled him out of that to use him. You see, what's wonderful about this is that God uses you in tremendous ways in his kingdom, no matter where you've come from. No matter what weakness you bring to the table, that's not the issue. In fact, if anything, the only issue it is, is all the more opportunity for you to trust God and know his strength in your life. It's not some reason to say, well, but I'm so weak, but I've had such failure, but I've come from such dark places. And you can just sense this passage is saying, and the problem is, you know, what? I hadn't heard anything yet that would stand in the way of the strength of God and of you trusting him. Doesn't that just prepare you all the more to trust in the only one who can do anything to begin with? It's not your strength to begin with. And the sooner we get a hold of that, admitting our own weakness and consciously looking to his power, the better it will be. Asa. In Second Chronicles 14, cried out and said, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you and in your name we've come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Completely looking away to the grace of God. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, I came to you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. 
Paul was not the big quarterback, you know, handsome, good looking, strong. Everybody just looked at him and said, wow, that guy's a dude, you know. He, he apparently was of such weakness that people would kind of look at each other and say, are you kidding? Is that Paul? The, I mean, the real Paul? <laughs> Is there another Paul? Is there somebody going to... Because he just didn't seem like your hero type. He was so weak. He was, he was not, he didn't appear strong. His, his speech was not something that would just rattle your cage. And yet, he transformed the Roman world through the gospel, through Paul. And Paul says, as you know, 2 Corinthians 12, three times I appealed to the Lord about this thorn in the flesh, this Weakness that he had. And apparently it was a weakness that Paul thought, Lord, if you take this weakness away from me, I'll be so much more effective in ministry. I just need you to remove it. And then the way will be open for me to really do some things or do more than I could do. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this. That may indicate the perfect number of times I appealed to him fully in every way possible. That it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. And you know, I've got to learn that language. Whenever I'm weak, means whenever I'm conscious, whenever I believe that, whenever I helplessly depend upon His strength alone, that's the only time you're strong. Understand that? It's the only time you have strength. And any other time, if God is foreign to you, if God is at the edges of your consciousness, if You're just motoring on in life and full of confidence in who you are and what you are. Then you can be sure whatever else you are, you're not walking in the strength of God. So. How does God respond to weakness? Is God is God push us away because of our weakness? Is he sick because of our weakness? It says in Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The King James reads without strength or the New American Standard, helpless, NIV, powerless. I'd love to hear a Scottish guy read the old Geneva of no strength, (laughs) of no strength. Yeah, when we had no strength. Powerless, helpless. That's when he died for us. Isn't that encouraging? When he saw you as dead and you couldn't do anything. That's when he died for you. And then he chooses the weak to shame the strong, to demonstrate that it's his power alone. And I love the passage in Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and weak, helpless. He loves to shepherd you. His heart goes out to you in special ways when you admit your helplessness to Him. 
It's very interesting that he says women receive back their dead by resurrection. And he's thinking of the widow of Zarephath that uh, Elijah saw raised from the dead. And then the Shunammite woman whose son was also raised from the dead through Elisha. So these two resurrections. But several commentators point out that it's women who are who have their dead raised, like the widow of Nain in Luke 7, Martha and Mary, their brother in John 11, or the, the widows of Joppa, their friend Dorcas, is raised. And, and I thought about this, this particular compassion that he has on women, knowing your particular pain, each one of us. It teaches all of us. He knows my particular struggles, the particular sensitivities that I have. And he knows how to minister to my needs. And he's concerned about those things. And F.F. Bruce points out that in several of the passages with Gideon, Barak, and Samson, it, it mentions how the spirit of Yahweh is said to come upon them. And he says, you know, there's no, th- this is an indication of their faith because the spirit came. Because they were dependent. They knew they had no uh, capability. And so the Spirit came. And I love what one of the old Puritans wrote about this. And when he was talking about the fire and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being in the fire. And how there was a fourth person that was there. And many, of course, have thought that this is the, an appearance of the Son of God before his actual incarnation. And uh, or some manifestation of God. And the way he put it was faith fetched the son of God from heaven. That beautiful faith fetched the son of God from heaven. But there's a picture for you and, and me in the fire, in the midst of the fire of our struggles, the, the fire of our weakness and tragedies and difficulties and things that just push us to the edge of our sensibility There he is. The fulfillment of his promise uh, to to Abraham, I will be with you. And there he is in his companionship with his people, comforting and strengthening and protecting, making us like himself, making us walk in joyful love. The glory of his presence with us. So in weakness, I would urge you every day, fetch the son of God into the midst of your life and depend upon him that the Holy Spirit may come and dwell in your midst and change you in so many ways. And and here I, I close by talking about this this phrase where he says they obtained promises. It's a way of saying they obtained the result or the things that were promised. But it's a very direct way to say that they got the promises. They enjoyed the fruit of the promises. And for you and me, in regard to character and to ministry, the New Te- of course, the whole of Scripture, but the New Testament is so full of promises to you of what you can be and do in Christ Jesus. And I urge you to read the New Testament and read the whole Bible in terms of its promise to you. I've said this before, but in... All of the command and the law of God is said in the new covenant to be put into your heart so that the whole of God's word, as you read it, there's a work being done in your heart to plant that word in the middle of your life so that your whole life is conformed to that word from the inside out. And so since he has promised, 
in also the new covenant that I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I promise the grace in this covenant to enable you to walk in my law. Then every law, in a sense, becomes promise to us. It's not a law to come and crush us and say, look how wrong you are. Look how guilty you are. No, Jesus dies for our sake. He completely covers us and satisfies the law's demands. We are made acceptable in Christ. And now the law becomes a promise to us. It becomes God's promise of what I will do for you. Every command is a vision for your life. Isn't that glorious? Whenever you hear a command, instead of, oh, I'm not that, and oh, does God can... No, you are saved in Christ Jesus if you've trusted Him. He has borne your punishment. You are accepted in the Beloved. God looks at you as hidden in Christ, and you have the same permanent acceptance that Jesus Himself has. And so these commands become God's vision for your life. God's promise of what He is going to do in your life. The character he is going to develop in your life. And it's not only specifically what he promises to do, but even in the New Testament, what he says you are in Christ Jesus. Like Ephesians 2.10, he says, we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. Read that as a promise. That He says, we are created for good deeds which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Read all of that as promise. It's not up to doubt as to whether I will develop a life that is rich in goodness, that I will become a good person who is pouring out good to people. It's situated in the very predestining work of God. He prepared beforehand that I should walk in these. I'm his workmanship. That's a promise to you. You are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation in Christ 2 Corinthians 5. This becomes promise for you. But I urge you to apply it in very specific ways. For instance, husbands. What does this mean in terms of your lack of involvement in your wife's life? Are you just going to be static for the rest of your life that way? What about... How short you can be with her, how terse, how edgy, how sullen you can be around her, how you can shut down and she doesn't know what you're thinking, how you can be sarcastic, angry, explosive toward her, how you can hurt her feelings and shut her out. What does this mean for you? This this means that. By promise, by believing God, by crying out to him and saying, Lord, my wife has mentioned these things. I shut her out. I don't even want to think about it because I can't admit to her how scared I am of having a relationship. I can't even bring myself to think about it hardly. And so I just keep up my sullen, mean front and block her out. That's the way I deal with it. I'm talking about that kind of specific application in your life where you're not going to stay that way anymore. You're going to believe the promise of God. You're going to believe that Christ is working in me. Believe promises like Philippians 1. He who began a good work in you will continue that work until Christ Jesus. 
Or Philippians 2.12, he is at work in me to will and to do for his good pleasure. Or promises like this, 1 Peter 2, he, suffered, he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin, that I could die to all these ugly things I am to my wife and live to righteousness and become a whole different kind of husband to her. Because God says, I will cause you to walk in my ways. What does that mean except that I will cause you to walk in love? I will cause you to be conformed to the very ways of my own son. And wives, you can make your own applications. For the specific needs of your husband that he's made known to you. Do you ignore those needs? Do you mock those needs? Do you ridicule those needs? Do you, are you a nagger? Are you a manipulator? In what ways are you conforming your life, sacrificing, living out a whole different life of laying yourself out for the benefit of your husband? And of course, we can talk about ministry. We can talk about what about your next door neighbor? What about your neighbor across the street? What about the person you work next to? We can talk about so many aspects of church ministry. But I just want us to have these two basic things at heart. And it's, it's like the applications will kind of take care of themselves. That you daily recognize basically what... Jehoshaphat said that, Lord, we are powerless. I make it personal where you get in the habit daily. Lord, I am powerless today. And you believe it and you tremble at the thought that pipsqueak me is going to war against the enemy today. But, oh, Lord, you are powerful. And you begin to expect that there will be changes Maybe not daily, but sometimes daily and then weekly and monthly. And there's growth. There's real. I love more. I'm doing different things for my wife. I, my husband, I'm changing. I'm growing in love. I'm growing in conformity to Christ because he says those who were had faith were made strong out of weakness. May we lay hold of those promises that God has given to us. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we praise you. We honor you, Lord, that we can admit exactly who we are. You know us. You know what we are. And you don't push us away. You don't despise us. You don't ridicule us. You don't make fun of us in our utter weakness and our utter sinfulness. The ways that we create idols in our hearts, the, the desires we have that no one else knows about. Blackness of heart and motives sometimes that just shocks us. Backgrounds that we're ashamed of, stories that we don't want to tell anybody. Lord, thank you that we can bring all of this to the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in our weakness... Trusting in you, we can be made strong in Christ. Lord, in the first place, we trust you but that we have no righteousness apart from you, Lord Jesus. We have no hope for righteousness apart from you. And Lord, we thank you that we can absolutely 
trust in the one who wants to cover us in his own son, the one that wants to so put us, join us with Christ that we nothing will hold back your embrace from us. We thank you, Lord, that you've provided Christ. You've provided this way by which we would have your favor forever and it would never, ever wane in any way. It would never break off. Lord, thank you that you make us acceptable to Jesus. So, Father, we pray that in this way we will confess our weakness and then we will confess our weakness as to any capacity we have to change or be different or truly be like Jesus Christ and his character. And then truly to spend our lives and lay ourselves out for others as Jesus has laid himself out for us. But Lord, thank you that this is salvation from A to Z. There is no part of it that is not your salvation. No part of it that is not a work of your spirit for us. Lord, enable us to fetch the Son of God into our lives every day. Enable us to walk as these saints in utter weakness, powerless, and yet confident in the great power of our God to transform our lives and to see us, Lord, with our tiny little efforts of love in this community, our efforts of service, our efforts to make Christ known that you would use us in tremendous ways to bring blessing and light by your mighty power. Lord, we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Fears away, won't you chase my fears away?